Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you make things better. Hey there, welcome to the program, our uh, school vacation week program for many folks. Um, So that means we're either going to be getting no uh, calls today because everybody's on vacation or tons of calls today because everybody's on vacation. Um, Either way, callers take priority on this program. Although I must say the emails that I'm trying to respond to are starting to stack up so, um, geez, I hope we get to some of those today as well. But uh, as always, these are your 45 minutes. Um, you need help understanding and uh, your challenging child and implementing the collaborative problem-solving approach, uh, having trouble doing any aspect of Plan B, having trouble making things predictable by identifying unsolved problems and prioritizing so that you can decide what you're working on ahead of time and you can start solving problems proactively. Um, This is your opportunity to call in, comment, ask questions, get the support you need, or just listen to what's going on with others who are using the collaborative problem-solving approach. If you do want to call in, the number is 347-994-2981. If you're not the calling in type, you can always send a question electronically, as many people do, through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.livesinthebalance.org. And the call-in number, again, 347-994-2981. Do I sound nasal? This is the least nasal I've been all week. I have that bug that um, has been uh, going around, and um, it's a a nasty one. But um, today I am uh, slightly less nasal than over the last three to four days. Um, But you know what? Let's jump into the email, shall we? Um, And I'm going to go from, uh, well, I'm not going to go in any particular order. Here we go. Hello, we have a four-year-old daughter who is textbook explosive. Her biggest lagging skill is not being able to control her emotions, mainly frustration. So my question is, since I never know what in the day is going to cause her to become frustrated, how do we stop the explosions? since there is no one unsolved problem causing them. Other than us trying to teach her to ask us for help, take a break, take deep breaths, how else can you teach her that lagging skill? Well, thank you for your email, and uh, here's the answer. That's true. I'm sure that it isn't any one unsolved problem causing the explosions, or whatever you want to call them. Um, But my bet is that it is a finite number 
of unsolved problems. And so what I would recommend that you do is one of a few things, uh, or any combination of a few things. Possibly, number one, download the Assessment of Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems from the Lives in the Balance website. Uh, it's in the paperwork section. And um, fill out the lagging skill section so you know what skills your child is lacking besides just poor tolerance for frustration. My bet is that there are many others. There usually are. Then identify the highly specific unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably setting in motion your daughter's challenging episodes. Um, that's one way to identify the specific unsolved problems that are setting in motion challenging episodes so that you're not stuck uh, simply talking about her being frustrated and not knowing what unsolved problems are setting in motion those challenging episodes. Any unsolved problem you identify is by definition predictable. Another way, and therefore if it's predictable, it can be solved proactively. The interventions you are mentioning, ask for help, take a break, take deep breaths, those are usually interventions that people use in the heat of the moment when they haven't yet identified highly specific unsolved problems and therefore are not well positioned to solve those problems proactively. Another way to um, identify unsolved problems is um, to uh, keep a log. And it sounds like that might in particular be a great idea here keep a log for a week of the conditions, the situations, the disagreements in which your daughter balked, um, in which there was a problem. She doesn't have to have had a, an explosion over it because you really never know whether a particular unsolved problem is going to set in motion a full-blown explosion or something a little less than that on any particular moment. But you want to keep a log of those. And after a week, if you've kept a log of the unsolved problems that are setting in motion um, potentially challenging episodes between you and your daughter, I say you've got a pretty comprehensive list of unsolved problems right there. Then you can work on them proactively rather than being stuck intervening only emergently. Um, you don't want to be stuck intervening only emergently. You want to solve them once and for all. Thank you for your question. And um, let's move on to the next one. Let me just check our switchboard. No callers yet. This could be the day that we catch up on email. Cool. Uh, here's the question. I am in the midst of reading your book, and I or we, my wife and I, have the following question regarding our explosive child. His problem is that he cannot accept the answer no to anything that he asks. And when he receives a negative response from us or from his siblings, he hits the roof. He either hits his siblings or he hits and kicks my wife. I am not sure how to use your methodology with him as there is no specific area that sets him off. Everything sets him off if it is negative. We are totally drained from him, I can imagine. Furthermore, we don't even have a quiet time to actually discuss anything with him except at night and it takes him over an hour to get ready for bed as it is. Okay, so here we go. That's the email. Thank you for your email as well. Um, I, I got it, that it feels like anything you say no to um, sets in motion um, challenging episodes. But we're going to have to be more specific than that. And I'm betting, because this is usually the case, that there are some things in particular that you are saying no to frequently. I don't know what they are. Um, no, you can't have ice cream before dinner. No, you can't stay on your video game for yet another hour. No, 
You can't go outside without a jacket. No. I don't know what the no's are. There's, the sky's the limit there, but we need to be more specific about what it is that you're saying no to. Those are your unsolved problems. Now, the goal, I don't, I don't have any great technology for what you should do once you've already said no in response to a highly predictable unsolved problem. I do have a technology called Plan B. It consists of three ingredients, the empathy step, the define the problem step, and the invitation step. I think that's the methodology that you're referring to. I do have a great methodology for solving the problems that you're saying no to before they come up again, before you have to say no. And it's just as I described for the prior emailer, except that um, these are the things that you're saying no in response to. Now, uh, the second part of your email, um, we don't even have a quiet time to actually discuss anything with them. Well, that you might have to carve that out. That's a lot of families. People are super busy these days. A lot of families don't feel like they have time to talk to or solve problems with their kid. Well, um, if you have a not-so-challenging kid, I guess that's a pity, but if you have a behaviorally challenging kid who's totally draining you and hitting and kicking your siblings and your wife, uh, you got no choice but to carve out time to do plan B. And if nighttime is not the ideal time because it takes an hour to get ready for bed as it is, well, we'll have to collaborate with your son on finding a time that we can do this that works for everybody. Bedtime may not be that time. I do know that if we don't create the time, this won't get better. Hope that answers the question. Still no caller. Another email. Uh, I have a child assessed with ADHD, inattentive type, and a nonverbal learning disorder who has anxiety and is very, very sensitive. She comes by it naturally, meaning mom, the emailer, has a lot of these things too, but no diagnosis. When you are a sensitive parent, it is hard to manage a sensitive child. My daughter, age 10, does not have explosive outbursts. She doesn't have temper tantrums. She gets missed a lot for being too quiet, even though she is drowning in her own silence because of her awkwardness socially. If she did explode, throw stuff, scream, and hit, she'd get help. Instead, she takes on the emotions she feels, buries them, and then finally explodes into tears over things. She can keep things inside for a long time. The anxiety that causes is horrible for her and us. Will collaborative problem-solving help the non-explosive but sensitive child, too? Thank you so much for your email. Um, sounds like you're a very sensitive mom. Not that, that our other emailers weren't. That wasn't a slight to our other emailers, just a commentary on your email. Uh, it sounds like you have an imploder, as they are sometimes called, not an exploder. Um, and uh, in that respect, I'm really sorry that the book was called The Explosive Child because it is just as applicable to imploders as it is to exploders. Imploders are imploding over the same things that exploders explode, um, lagging skills, unsolved problems. Um, you, you may be one of the first people I've uh, heard from or read an email from who, um, and this might be uh, of slight comfort to the parents of explosive kids out there, but... Um, 
yes, maybe if she was more of an exploder, she would be uh, letting us know more explicitly when something's getting in her way. So what I was commenting on is that seldom do parents of exploders feel like they've got a leg up on anybody, but um, you put it in an interesting way of viewing it. But yes, because imploders are imploding over the same things that exploders are exploding over, um, yeah, collaborative problem solving is frequently just what the doctor ordered um, because imploders have lagging skills and unsolved problems and exploders have lagging skills and unsolved problems and collaborative problem solving is the way that I help adult caregivers help challenging kids irrespective of where the child falls on what we might call the spectrum of looking bad things human beings do when they're having trouble looking good they look bad and it sounds like your daughter is a crier she cries once things get stacked up for her and she can't manage it anymore uh boy sounds like the type of kid we'd want to make sure is talking to us that's the empathy step a kid who we'd want to make sure we know what's going on with her, still the empathy step. And a kid who we'd want to be solving problems proactively so they don't stack up and so that she's not uh, bursting into tears when she just can't take it anymore. Same three ingredients. You want to get her concerned. You want, well, you want to identify the unsolved problems that are getting in her way. And then the three ingredients, get her concerns on the table, one unsolved problem at a time, proactively. Get your concerns on the table, brainstorm solutions. When you're doing that, you are not only solving problems, you're teaching kids the skills they're lacking. Thank you so much for your email. Still no callers. We are plowing through them here. Uh, let me see. This is a long one. Let me uh, see what I can do here. All right. So uh, this emailer is saying, I've written a few times before. Um, I caught a past program with Alfie Cohn. Yes, that's in the archives in the uh, Parent Collaborative Problem Solving at Home section of the Lives in the Balance website. And I've read lots of his stuff, too. I buy into the theory of his work as, and have been trying lots of Plan B in my household for a few months. I get the reason to avoid punishment and also rewards. Uh my problem or question is in day-to-day life, I'm not sure how to avoid an external incentive. My 10-year-old son, who is a rigid black-and-white thinker, high reactive and explosive and impulsive, has daily outbursts, throwing, swearing, destroying his prized possessions because he's bored or over having to do homework. Good, now we know what the unsolved problems are. We've plan b the homework to death. I get it. He doesn't want to come home and have any homework at all. Hmm. All right, now I'm going to interrupt the email. I don't know if we uh, understand your son's concern very well yet. I wonder if we might need to do more drilling. Uh, Yeah, I get that he doesn't want to have any homework at all. I need to understand that better. Now I'm going to continue with the email. I explained to him that he has an extremely short day. He goes to a private school for children with LD. He is has dysgraphia as well as Asperger's disorder and ADHD, and some homework is needed, about 40 minutes worth, if it's done without all the drama. Well, now you know what I'm going to I'm going to interrupt again here. You know my philosophy. If he could do the homework without the, quote-unquote, all the drama, he would do the homework without the, quote-unquote, all the drama. He and I have worked out that I type most of his work, 
And even on the reading part, I read every other page. I explain that I'm trying to help him, and we discuss this rather than I'm just capitulating to his issues. But yet the more I give, the more he wants, and this is with all areas, not just homework. But when external motivators are presented, he often, and in parentheses, nothing is an always, does better. Hmm. We'll have to figure out why. That's me talking, but let me continue with the email. In general, he is motivated to be well-liked and not to destroy his things. You're not going to get any argument from me there. He doesn't want to have behavior problems. Once again, you're preaching to the choir. But in all these specific situations of day-to-day life, the long-term payoff for doing things differently are too far removed to impact him when he is tired, bored, unhappy, not wanting to do homework, etc., How can I help him participate in a plan that he did help create and thought was a good idea, at least at one time, without external motivators? Throwing a lot out there, but in but uh, in a book that um, this emailer is mentioning, uh, there's a lot of talking about external cues and reinforcers. Thoughts? Well, you know, it's kind of an interesting issue. To, To what degree do I recommend, and I'm paraphrasing here, using external incentives? Um, as an inducement for kids to participate in Plan B, and that's not exactly the question you're asking, but the answer is I don't recommend that we use external inducements for a kid to participate in Plan B, mostly because, um, well, if a kid isn't participating in Plan B, I'd rather figure out why. And if he is participating in Plan B, I didn't need the incentive to induce him to participate anyways. So, no, I don't usually do that. But I think your question was a little bit different, and that is that you are occasionally getting um, something to show for your use of external motivators. And as you're saying, nothing is always, but sometimes external motivators make it better. Well, maybe. You'd know better. But I don't understand why. I don't understand how an external motivator would solve your son's concerns, especially because I'm not completely clear about what his concerns are on the homework issue. Um, You can feel free to call in if you're listening now. I'll uh, take your call if you want to go into more detail about that. But I think that so long as he doesn't want to have any homework at all is his concern. This is going to be an extremely difficult problem to solve, and it's going to be hard for me to make sense out of why an external motivator would be solving that, would be addressing that concern. So I, don't, I can't quite explain. I will say that my experience of external motivators is they do sometimes give you a quick burst of motivation, but that that burst of motivation is almost never maintained. And therefore, when people are using rewarding and punishing, their lives are filled with short bursts of good followed by whatever they had in the first place. And when those external motivators are in the form of punishment, well, punishment often sets in motion challenging episodes, and when the external motivator in the form of a reward is not delivered because the kid didn't hit the mark, well, there we've just lit the fuse again. So I'm very careful. Uh, truth is, I never use uh, extrinsic rewards or punishments um, because I find that they don't fix what's really getting in a kid's way. 
So while I can't explain why the external motivators seem to be effective intermittently, what I'm mostly gleaning from your email is the need to really get a good handle on what's getting in the way for your son on homework, besides that he doesn't want to have it at all. And you've given us some hints here. Um, he's got dysgraphia, got ADHD. Uh, those will make homework dramatic and can make 40 minutes worth of homework torturous and, in some instances, unrealistic. So there's a lot of um, lot we don't understand uh, from your email, and I'm not. Uh, once again, you can feel free to call at any time or send us another email to uh, clarify. But that's my basic take on that. Time for the next one. How can you phrase a question to a smart teen so that they don't think you are fishing to give up information that will ultimately be used against them? Like, for example, I noticed that you looked groggy last night. And in parentheses, this emailer is saying, when I want to say stoned, what's up with that? For the second night in a row, he says he is so tired and goes to bed. Only last night he woke up at midnight when a text message came through and then was on Facebook till 12.45 a.m. So it could be exhaustion or it could be pot. I don't want to be accusational and risk tuning him out. Well, good. Now back to your original question. How can you phrase a question to a smart teen, truth is I would phrase the question the same to a dumb teen. Now I'm being facetious. Um, but this is a serious problem. How do you phrase a question to anybody, teen or not, smart or not, so that they don't think you are fishing to give up information that will ultimately use, be used against them? Don't ultimately use it against them. If the child, first of all, this is plan B. Uh, if it's plan B, then even if you find out that your child is smoking pot, you have a problem that needs to be solved. Used against them sounds like we are gathering information just prior to lowering the plan A boom, and then, yeah, smart or not so smart teen is going to think that you're fishing for them to give up information that will ultimately be used against them. So that's huge. You're not using the information against them. The goal of the empathy step, the reason we are inquiring and gathering information in the first place, is to understand, not to use anything against anybody. And if it turns out that your child is smoking pot, uh, yes, that's serious. Yes, that's scary. But is that plan A or is that plan B? It's all a matter of how you want to solve that problem. With plan A, you are using the information against them. Not only that, you're blowing their concerns off the table. And the only person whose concerns are being considered now are yours, and you're probably imposing your will, probably with adult-imposed consequences attached. If you're using plan B, you're trying to understand the kid's concerns, you are then still getting your concerns on the table, and then you are working together to try to make sure that both concerns get addressed. I'm assuming that you have... If it turns out that your smart teen is smoking pot, I'm assuming you have some important concerns about that. Now, how do you want to get those concerns addressed? A or B? Now, um, how you word it is important. And no, you don't want to lead the witness. 
I think it might sound like I've noticed that you've been um, very tired the last few nights. What's up? Now, that neutral observation may not get you the information you're looking for, in which case you may have to lead the witness somewhat. Uh, and I don't know if this will be in the define the problem step or still in the empathy step, but at some point along the way you may have to suggest that you know that sometimes kids that age sometimes do things that could make them tired. But that could be bedtime and staying up on Facebook. That could be pot smoking. That could be a lot of things. You'll get your concern on the table whether you're using plan A or plan B. The question is, do you have a partner in solving this problem? If you're using B, you do. If you're using A, you don't. We just checked the switchboard. Still no callers. We're making good headway here. Uh, I have been using the collaborative problem-solving approach with my eight-year-old son now for about three weeks. He has severe ADHD and is not on medication other than homeopathic stuff. He is gifted with an IQ of 137. That's a nice IQ to have. So he is quite a smart one and is always a step ahead of me. Uh-oh. My issue is this. He doesn't follow through with the problem-solving with the solutions he's come up with. For example, this is a recent scenario. All right, I'm going to read this to you. This is what the email has, emailer has given us. Good. Uh, mom, I'm noted. This is this is mom telling us about the plan B that she did with her very smart son. Mom, I am noticing that it when is uh, mom saying this. I'm noticing that it is time for you to shower. You run away and fight it. What's up? I right, now this is editorial comment. Um, I guess that's uh, neutral enough. Is that neutral enough? I guess so. Kid, kid's response. I just don't want to take a shower. Mom. So what you're saying is that you don't like to get a shower? Kid, yeah. Mom, so my concern is, uh uh-oh, you know what I'm about to say here. We have now moved in, the the minute mom says my concern is, um, we know that the define the problem step is beginning, but the define define the problem step can't begin until we have the clearest possible sense of the child's concern or perspective on this unsolved problem, and he doesn't like to take a shower, isn't even close to being specific enough. We need to know more. We need to drill further, more drilling. And now I think I have a feeling of why we're saying he didn't follow through with the solution he came up with, but let's follow this through. Let's see if mom's concern is specific enough. Mom, I don't uh, uh, my concern is that you need to get a daily shower, and I was wondering how we might solve this problem. Mom, I have bad news. This is me talking again. Your concern isn't specific enough either. So here's one of my mantras. Vague concerns lead to vague solutions, and vague solutions don't work very well. Here we go. Let's keep going. In the example you're giving us, kid, um, Mom has asked him how we might solve this problem. Kid, I don't know. Mom, well, what do you think about this idea? When mom says it's time for a shower, that means you have 10 minutes to get one. That way you have a notice and it isn't a sudden transition. How do you feel about that suggestion? Kid, okay, that sounds good. Mom, 
So what we're saying is that when mom says shower time, that means you have 10 minutes to get into the shower. Kid, yep, sounds good. Mom, okay, I'm glad we're able to solve this problem together. All right, mom, I'm going to repeat my mantra. Vague concerns lead to vague solutions. And one of the things, so now we already know one, two things. The, um, your, his concern wasn't specific enough. We're going to need to drill further than that. Your concern wasn't specific enough. Why does he need a daily shower? Lots of kids don't take daily showers. Why does he need to take daily shower? I don't get it. He, I don't think he does either. And now, and your solution, boy, it certainly sounds like he was just sort of agreeing with you to get it over with. Um, plus, we want to give him the first crack at the solution. I know he said, I don't know, but I think he's going to say, I don't know if the concerns are vague, but even if the concerns weren't vague, just because he does, says, I don't know, doesn't mean we're jumping straight into our solutions. And plus, I got this bad feeling that you giving him 10 minutes notice, and to tell you the truth, I haven't read the rest of your email. <laughs> I'm going to now, but I have a feeling I know what's coming. Um, I don't think he can do that. Well, the, uh, you know what, that's easy for me to say, because you're emailing to tell me that it didn't work, so I know that he didn't do it, right? All right, so now... Mom's emailing, and the rest of her email says, next time it was time for a shower. Mom, time for a shower. Zach, no. Mom, remember we solved this problem together? Kid, uh, I only said I would agree to that at the time because I wanted to play with Bella, the cat, and watch TV. Mom, well, my concern is that we came up with a solution, and now you are not following through. Kid, now he runs away and doesn't want to comply. I don't think I put it that way. What do I do? My pile is getting bigger. Pile of unsolved problems I think you're referring to. Uh, that I need to go back to because my son isn't complying with any of the problems he has solved. Also, he seems to be mocking me more since I've started this new process and calling me a liar all the time. Well, I, I don't understand the liar part. There's probably more to it than that. And I don't understand the mocking part, but I do know this. If the other problems that you've been solving have also had concerns that weren't specific enough, I, I don't understand anything about why your son uh, doesn't want to take a shower. I don't know if it's the way the water feels. I don't know if it's inconvenient. I don't know if he's in the middle of doing something else. There's so many different reasons that a kid might not be enthusiastic about taking a shower. And unless we have your concerns being more specific, then we're going to continue coming up with vague, perhaps wishful thinking solutions that are going to be doomed. And yes, it's true. Your pile of unsolved problems is going to stay high. So let's not... Focus on solving tons of them at once. Let's focus on solving a few of them well. Now, maybe the plan B that you're describing was lengthier than your email suggests, but even if it was lengthier, even if it did take more time than that, it doesn't matter how much time. We need to get very specific concerns on the tables, and that's what's going to determine whether our solution addresses those concerns or not. The solution is not going to address concerns very well if the concerns are extremely vague. I hope that makes sense, and I hope you will email back and let us know how your more specific attempts at Plan B went. Still no calls. Let's do some more emails. Uh, Dr. Green, I'm trying to implement... Plan B proactive with my 14-year-old daughter who has always been introverted. She's basically easy, but if something comes up where we have to tell her no for something, like going to a party, there's no discussing things. She goes straight into a meltdown. 
crying, yelling, and not listening to any problem solving. When there is not a crisis and I try to talk to her about things, anything she doesn't, uh, anything she doesn't talk or give feedback on anything, even if it's what sounds good for dinner. Please help. All right. So if you, boy, this is only a uh, one, two, three, four sentence email, but there's a lot in it. Uh, sounds like uh, when you're saying she's introverted, it sounds like she's quiet, um, not apparently somebody who's easy to get talking. My first question is whether she's always been that way. Uh, basically easy, well, I guess she's basically easy, as you're saying, unless there's an unsolved problem that's appeared on the horizon. And you're in your email, you're saying that. If something comes up where we have to tell her no for something, like going to a party, she goes straight into being upset. Well, uh, and then crying, yelling, not listening to any problem solving. Well, that, that's, that, that's bad timing on doing problem solving. Plus, no isn't problem solving. No is, you've already told her the solution. She's not going. Plus, the timing's all off. Um, the things, and we've, this has come up a few times today already, uh, the things that you are saying no about are predictable. And the fact that you're able to give me an example, like going to a party, says that's a predictable one. Good. Let's do it proactively. Anything else you're saying no to, let's do it proactively. Then she won't go straight into a meltdown, crying, yelling, and not listening to any problem solving, because that's not when you're doing your problem solving. You're doing your problem solving proactively, outside the heat of the moment, over unsolved problems that are probably highly predictable. So I would recommend, as I did with one of our other emailers on today's program, that you... um, Make a list of all the things you can remember in the last month that you've said no to and that caused people to get upset with each other. That's your list of unsolved problems. Now start doing problem solving proactively. Now let's get to the next part of your email. When there is not a crisis, and by the way, as I always say about collaborative problem solving, it is a crisis prevention mentality not a crisis management mentality. As I always say, the more crisis management you do, the more crisis management you do. This is crisis prevention. The things you're saying no to are probably highly predictable. Let's figure out what they are and try to solve them ahead of time. And then uh, we'll have to think about why, when you're trying to talk with her about things proactively, she's giving you no input. I don't know. The fact that you're describing her as quiet makes me wonder uh, about whether she's processing what you're saying well, whether she's able to communicate her thoughts and ideas well. Um, I don't know what introverted means exactly, but a lot of kids who are very quiet are very quiet because they're having difficulty communicating and sometimes because they're having difficulty understanding what's being said. And that that might be why you're getting very little back, even in response to something relatively seemingly benign like what sounds good for dinner. So our first task is to have you solving problems 99.9% proactively Our next task, once you've gotten there, is to try to figure out why um, your daughter's having trouble communicating with you, even when you're doing the empathy step, 
proactively. That's as far as I can take you. Um, I don't know your daughter, obviously, so I can't take you any further than that. But um, first, let's make sure that we're being proactive. Then let's figure out why that's hard. All right. Still no callers. Another email. I'm very happy we're getting through a lot of these ones that, well, this one dates back to February 7th. Let's, uh, this is a longer one. Uh, I might have to respond to this one by email because it's too lengthy and I think a little bit too involved. Let me take this one. Um, I have a son who is bright and loves football. He is an inflexible and explosive child. He has the diagnoses of Asperger's disorder and mood disorder not otherwise specified. I'm trying to get the school he attends to buy into the concepts of collaborative problem solving, but the principal is just not buying it. It is his way or a juvenile justice referral. Whoa. Where can I download the lagging skills and unsolved problems sheet? Well, you know, this is one I should have responded to by email, unless I did already. I think I didn't. It's right on the Lives in the Balance website um, in the paperwork section. Also, any other advice you can give me would be great, as my, sometime, my husband sometimes forget he doesn't need to prove he's the boss all the time. Well, you got a, sounds like you've got a, a school principal and a husband to try to uh, help. And, um, well, the, the school bit, principal might benefit from a copy of the book Lost at School, but i got another strategy for you. Uh, the school principal may benefit from the Lives in the Balance website. I'm not sure that the school principal is going to be so willing to look at it just yet. Um, so what you might want to do is talk to some other folks in the building who know how the building runs well, maybe even know the principal well, people who you think will be honest with you, and ask them how you think the principal might best be approached. Um, I'm a, I think good strategy often helps, and um, good to know the person you're trying to convince about collaborative problem solving. And... Um, well, as for your husband, I think it sounds like your husband, like lots of other folks, needs to recognize that your son um, would do well if he could do well. After all, he's bright and loves football. He also, based on those diagnoses, and I don't know enough about him based on those diagnoses, quite frankly, but it might might be helpful for you and your husband to sit down with a copy of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems in front of you and uh, go down that list of lagging skills and collaborate or put your heads together on what skills your son is lacking. See, here's the interesting thing. I talk to this uh, with folks at school all the time. There are, there are people who are going to be skeptical about collaborative problem solving. People who are going to stick with the he's not motivated, he's manipulative, he's attention-seeking script until we engage them in a discussion, a meaningful discussion, about lagging skills. And you've got a nice list there on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Once we engage them, I find that rather than handing them the information and saying, look, this kid's lacking these skills, I find that when we engage them in the discussion, it's far more persuasive. 
As I always say, I'm looking for wow moments during those meaningful discussions. As in, wow, he really is lacking a lot of skills. Wow. No wonder what we've been doing had been working. Wow. I'm feeling kind of bad about how I've been treating him. That's what I'm looking for when there are meaningful discussions taking place using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And if we take the next step and identify the specific unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably setting in motion your son's challenging episodes, and if we do that, we can start intervening proactively and we start to recognize that we're in the problem-solving business, not the proving who's the boss business. I mean, we do want your son to be able to solve his own problems someday, right? So if we're busy proving we're the boss, how's he going to get to practice? He's not. Nope, we got to give him the opportunity to participate with us, collaborate with us on generating solutions and evaluating those solutions so as to decide how they're going to turn out. Now we are problem solvers and we are teaching problem solving. If all we do is prove to the kid that we're the boss, then what we teach him how to do is prove that he's the boss. Plan A begets Plan A. Plan B begets Plan B. Good parenting does not mean proving you're the boss. Good parenting means helping your child master solving life's problems and frustrations, mastering life's demands for flexibility and adaptability. Plus, he already knows you're the boss. You don't need to prove it. So I hope that uh, that helps. I Thank you for emailing. Um, do I have time to do one more? Let's see. I'm going to open this one. I'm going to save that one. That's too long for me to do in the last minute of the program. That's too long for me to do in the last minute of the program. You know, I think that all of the rest are sufficiently long so as not to permit us to uh, do them today. So I think we are done with our uh, emails today. And let me count them. This is a record for us, of course. Uh, How many did we get done today? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight emails, and only eight left in the hopper. So if I didn't get to your email today, um, I will do my darndest to get to it on the next program where we're able to take emails. Um, Next week, of course, is March 1st, if I'm not mistaken. And if it's March 1st, then by golly, it's the parenting panel, the parents panel day on this program. Let me just double check that. Yes, indeed. Next Tuesday at 12 o'clock, it's the parents panel where we'll have Susie, Sharon, Peter, and Kristen, um, joining me live on the program, and um, we'll be responding to your phone calls and perhaps even some of your questions. It's always one of my favorite uh, collaborative problems of the month, and uh, so that's something to look forward to next week. In the meantime, keep those emails coming. 
keep listening. We get, believe it or not, hundreds upon hundreds of listeners to every program every week. And you know me, hundreds of listeners or not, I'd be doing this if it was only helping one person. Makes me ecstatic to believe that it's actually helping way, way more than that. Thanks for listening in today. I hope that uh, you found today's program to be helpful and um, look forward to checking in with you again next week. Take care.